This morning we are going to have some fun. No whoop whoop? Okay. We're going to have some fun. I have, yes, I have a 30 point sermon. I really do. 30 points. Don't worry, I won't get through them all today. And it's not going to be quite like what I've done in the past. This is different. So when I say that, you can get nervous. No, I'm kidding. It'll be fine. We'll be totally fine. Um, Twisted. Some of the most misused verses of the Bible. This is what we're going to... I'm doing the series. uh, Just a mini-series. Just as summer starts to come to a close and parents get happier as September comes closer. Um, Twisted. We're going to take a look at some Bible verses that are misused, misquoted. But today I want to actually deal with... uh, Uh, the subject of verses that aren't even in the Bible. So get your Bibles out. They're going to be useless. (laughs) I'm kidding. In fact, your eyebrows may go up and go, what are you talking about? Well, as we grew up in churchianity and in the church and in uh, religious communities, uh, we learn phrases. Uh, we, we have catchphrases that we use. Uh, we call it Christianese. Language that only the in-group gets. And unfortunately, when people come to church for the first time or come to the gathering of the church, and they hear all they hear is Christianese, It's like walking into a Korean restaurant and you're the only person who doesn't understand Korean. You got mushy food, which you don't understand, and you got language you don't get. It's really, really hard. We have to remember this. But unfortunately, if you're in the swing of things for a long time as a believer, you hear phrases from other believers, from somewhere else. Oh, this line gets shot out and, oh, it must be true. And you say it enough times and suddenly it becomes True. Just because you've heard it so much and you can't remember where you heard it anymore. You just hear the saying so often, where's the actual truth? So I want to challenge some of those today. The first ones I have today are really odd. You go, Mike, where did you possibly find this? Well, guess what? This church is not the only church. This gathering is not the only gathering. There are so many tribes and um, denominations out there that have different phrases and they, they have sayings that are normal for them but are not going to be normal for us. But I'm going to show you some of them. But as we get going, you'll start to see, wait a minute, I thought that was in the Bible. In fact, a lot of this began years and years and years ago. I was doing a senior high Bible study and it was on the sayings of Jesus. And so I had this list, this 26-question survey that I handed out. This is it. And... All these phrases were put to the students, and I did it with adults too, because it really it was fun. Did Jesus really say these things or not? Example, allow the dead to bury their own dead. Did Jesus say that, yes or no? Yes. You fool. If you say you fool, you shall be guilty, guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Is that in the Bible? Yes. Weird. I desire you to be healthy and prosperous. Yes. No. Nice try. Those words aren't there. Now, be careful. Some of the... If I, if, I'm not going to go through the whole list because I have my own list. Um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But sometimes it's just an off word. Sometimes it's uh, two words in two different parts of the verse that have been blended together into a phrase to mean something it shouldn't have meant. 
It all started this week with one conversation with Jen. <laughs> we were having a talk. Yeah, don't look scared. This is good. It's like, what, what, what is it? <laughs> the conversation was on a text of, um, uh, in Matthew. It's, in Matthew I, think it's, I believe it's Matthew 18. It says, wherever there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Do you remember that verse? Well, I'm not going to dissect that one today. That's for a week or two away. But let me promise you, it's been misused, especially in the area of prayer. Is that the most common, right? Wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. Well, unfortunately, go read it in context. It's not talking about prayer at all. Because what happens if you have four people? It doesn't work anymore. It's two or three. That's what the text says. Too bad. No, I'm kidding. I get on, anyway, I'm going to myth bust some of these, these sayings that we misuse. And you'll have a little bit of fun. So this may force some homework. I might have to open my Bible and read it. Yes! That's the point. But what if you hear something in Scripture or hear an interpretation that you're not used to? What if you just don't like it? I disagree with that. Well, let me tell you about something called cognitive dissonance. This is why people get upset when you challenge what they hold on to most, most closely. Mental conflict that occurs when beliefs or assumptions are contradicted by new information. The concept was introduced by the psychologist Leon Fetzinger uh, in the late 1950s. He and later researchers, researchers showed that when confronted with challenging new information, most people seek to preserve their current understanding of the world by rejecting, explaining away, or avoiding the new information, or by convincing themselves that no conflict really exists. Cognitive dissonance is nonetheless considered an explanation for attitude change. This is big. I, I, I have this too. As new information has come to me over the years, in 20 years, 25 years, this is year 26 of pastoral ministry, do you think I've changed my perspective on certain verses or beliefs or theology? Do you think I may have grown and developed and I don't see things quite the same? Many things I do, but there are many things I don't. Do you, do you, same thing. Chris, you, you've, you've grown up uh, with some faith, but even in the time you've been a believer, you've changed your thinking. You develop. You keep growing. What you saw as a child, you don't believe as a child anymore. It became more real. You grow up, which we covered last week. Go back on YouTube and watch it. It was good. It's time to grow up. Don't let something that may be new to you, just because it's new, it doesn't mean it's new teaching. Well, that's new teaching. That's heresy. Well, no. In fact, it may not be new at all. In fact, it's really old teaching, but new to you because you've never been exposed to this understanding of it. Do not think for a moment the Western church has been controlled by a certain kind of teaching and understanding of how we read our Bible. Don't kid yourself. And the only way to see it is get outside of that wall. And begin to see other perspectives from around the world. The West is not the answer for the rest of the world. Where did Jesus come from anyway? <laughs> not America. <laughs> Promise you that. Not Canada. Let's take a look. 
it's not in the Bible. We are going to have fun. The first couple are kind of weird, but so I'm, that way the next ones that are good, you go, oh, okay, now it's good. So I'm, I'm just setting you up. It's like bringing in guest speakers that are terrible, and when you come back, you go, oh, good. <laughs> just kidding. We had amazing speakers. That was good. You're awake. I like this. Are you ready? It's not in the Bible. First one. God don't, God don't like ugly. How many have heard this? It, it's, it's not in any Bible. It's a Christian phrase used. This is not... I, I laughed when I first saw it. Like, what? But this has led into ideas and thinking, uh, especially colloquial stuff, uh, of you have to be absolutely spotless perfect. This, this found its way into uh, dressing properly and really, really clean. All right? It found its way into that. Um, uh, example, God cannot handle anybody that has a blemish, a blind person, a, a twisted arm, a ligament. They cannot give an offering. It says it in Leviticus. It's right there. It's in Leviticus 21. And the Lord spake to Moses. I think he says spoke, but it says spake in this translation. Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whosoever be of thy seed of thy generations hath any blemish, him not approach the offer of the bread of his God. For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, boy, I do not like this version, he shall not approach a blind man, a lame, or he that hath a flat nose, or anything superficial. Like, seriously. You get punched in the face the night before in a bar fight, and you can't, night, too late, you got a flat nose, you can't go. But the idea of God don't do ugly is a quiet truth that the phrase you may not know, but the attitude's there. People, people raise up the good looking. All right? It's, it's not fair. Man, God don't like ugly. All right. Number two, money cometh to me now. Which camp do you think that comes from? Yes! This is a televangelist phrase. It's not in the Bible. It's how to get rich quick. It's by saying this, uh, money cometh to me now. You know, it, it, the idea is, uh, it, it, put your hand on the TV and, and your money cometh and I'll get rich now. Okay? It's crazy. But uh, there are some people on TV who use this phrase. I'm not going to use names this morning because I don't, if I don't have to, I'm not going to do that. But there are some um, health and wealth people that use this phrase. It, it's, it's not in the Bible. Okay? Next. Touch your neighbor. This is not our style. Okay? I like this quote here. Um, a guy named um, Jonathan Miller wrote, he's a minister, you ever sat next to somebody in church that was fine and you couldn't wait for the preacher to say, touch your neighbor. You make sure you're close to that person. <laughs> well, we, in the more conservative church, we have greeting time. You know, and we, we please stand and say hello to those around you. And you, I remember being in a, a, a one church, I was hoping I was be close to the good-looking girls, because then I <laughs> sit sort of close, because I know that part of the service is coming. All right? But the idea of touch your neighbor, we even had some speakers here who used to turn somebody and say this, and you repeat the phrase. Do you, remember, do you know those kind of teachers, speakers who do that? Everybody say it now. Repeat after me. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Ah. See? See? It's all, it's all part of the style. But to say touch your neighbor, it's not there. 
It's frequently heard, not in Canada so much, but definitely in the States. Here's another weird phrase, number four. Neither a borrower nor a lender be. Anybody heard this one before? You have. Okay, very good. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. There's a little line in Proverbs that sort of lends itself to this. Proverbs 22 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. But this phrase comes from Polyonis. And who is he? He's a character in Shakespeare. This is a Shakespearean phrase that's been ported into churchianity. By the way, there's a bunch of them that are from this guy. William Shakespeare's Hamlet. Neither a borrower nor a lender be, for loan oft loss loses both itself and friend, and borrowing dulls the edge of husbandry. Basically, he's saying... I don't have a clue. That's how crazy some of it is. The church has used this as a way to say, don't lend money. Don't borrow money. The phrase has come in uh, and taken um, what, where, where God gave instructions to Israel uh, of how they can do interest in lending. Especially when the year of Jubilee was coming and all the debts were freed. You think you're really going to re- uh, lend money to your relatives at that point? Probably not because they got it's all free. You know? So however you do, it's very funny. But uh, there, is, there is a very neat pattern there. But the idea of lending money and, and charging interest all, all seemed like a bad thing. So that's where this, this phrase got ported into. Next one. Oops, hang on. There's another, there's another phrase that's similar to this. It's, a fool and his money are soon parted. Anybody hear that one? Yep. Uh, uh, this comes from Thomas Tuss, Tuss, Tusser, who wrote in 1573, in 500th points of good husbandry. 500 points? <laughs> We're in trouble. <laughs> All right. So, anyway, that's just a phrase. Number five. This one is very interesting. God doesn't like interracial marriages. It's not in the Bible. It's not there. Although, I grew up believing this. It was preached. Oh yeah, this is preached in fundamental places all the time. But it's a mistaken out of. Here we go. Deuteronomy 73 says, Do not intermarry them, giving your daughters and sons, or taking their daughters for your sons. For they will turn away from your sons following me to serve other gods. This is about the nation of Israel. God's telling them, not everybody, for a time, don't do this. But take a look at a moment. Who is Ruth? She, she was not a Jew. She was a Moabite. She married into the line of Jesus. So, this whole interracial thing, to us here it's probably not a big deal, but in other places it definitely is. All right? Nowhere in Scripture does it say it so clearly at all. Next. To thine own self be true. Who said that? Yes! Oh, hey, you're right. It's Shakespeare. How'd you know that? From Hamlet, again. This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow, as the night is the day, thou canst not be false to any man. Another, yeah, whatever. 
I didn't do well in English. All right. So that's not in the Bible. Next. Have you heard the devil can cite scripture for his purpose? It's not in the Bible. No, there really isn't a single verse to point to this, so I can't give you a reference. It's Shakespeare, Merchant of Venice. All these things. It's cheeky. Next one. In the last days, you will not be able to know the seasons except by the changing of the leaves. It's a miss. Well, people have used this, that the world's going to get so bad, it's going to be so hard to see. We're not going to know what's going on. Only we have is trees to look at. We won't even feel the changes. There's going to be so much chaos, and it's been misused. Even if you try and do the best Google search, you won't find it. Matthew 24, 32 to 33 is the closest thing it bounds off of. Using the budding of leaves, heralding the coming of summer as a metaphor for the signs of, the, of Christ and his return. This quote actually comes from Three Days of Darkness Prophecy by Padre Pio, a Roman Catholic priest. Very funny. Okay, now we're getting to some more phrases that you may recognize. The lion shall lay down with the lamb. How many have heard this phrase? Guess what? It's not in the Bible. Sorry to burst your bubble. Moving on to the next one. No, I'm kidding. I'll I'll tell you where, where it's coming from. This is important. This is a phrase because we think that's what the Bible says. But those words are not found in Scripture. The sediment is, but not the words. This is not there. Isaiah 11, 6. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. Or Isaiah 65, 25. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. The lion lay down with the lamb? Doesn't exist. Nope. Well, Google it. Because I don't trust you. This was, this was a lot of fun to go through because I had to check each one. So hang on. These sound like they're actually in the Bible. Again, I'll make my point. I'm going to make many times. I hope to remember to do this. Know your Bible. Don't just take somebody saying and assume that's in Scripture. Even if they say the Bible says. Even worse, the Bible plainly says. <laughs> Next one. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Not in the Bible. It's not there, just in case you thought it was. You'll actually be surprised who, who said this. So it was Gandhi, 1929. Hate the sin and not the sinner. Augustine also expressed this back in 424 AD. With love for mankind and hatred of sins. The Bible does not say, and is the sediment important? Yes. But the words are not there. What this is doing is causing you to take serious scripture. To see in a higher regard. So you can trust it. Next one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. We teach our kids this. How many, how many have heard this one before? Yes. It's not in the Bible. Doesn't exist. 
No, Jesus did not say this in the Sermon on the Mount or any of his teachings recorded in the Gospel. The Bible misquote might have its roots in James 4. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And even if you were to somehow stretch the old covenant cleanliness rules, that phrase is not in Scripture. Okay? Cleanliness is next to godliness? Really? The only closest thing I saw of godliness was in First uh, Peter 2, where it talks about, uh, I think it's self-control and leads to godliness. That, that's the closest I've seen, not cleanliness. That was just a nice try to make your kids wash their hands before dinner. Number 12, blessed and highly favored. Is that exact phrase in the Bible? No. Yeah, but... Because then you're right. (laughs) Yeah, let's just do that. That's easier. You know what? We don't have to study. We just make it up. Blessed and highly favored. The only reference that could come close to using these two words, they're not, this phrase is not there, comes from Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. No, it's not exactly the same thing. Okay, it means, it means something similar. I'm talking about phrases now. Okay, all right. I got to keep you awake here. This too shall pass. Is that in the Bible? Nope. It is not in Scripture. This too shall pass. It's like, uh, now I won't use that illustration. Yeah. <laughs> you, okay, you thought of it too. Okay, um, this actually is a misrepresentation from a line, The Lament of Dewar, an old English poem. Dewar has been replaced uh, as his Lord's poet and calls to mind several other Germanic mytho- mythological figures who went through troubled times. Each refrain ends with, That passed away, so may this. That's where the phrase comes from. So, not in the Bible. How about this one? Spare the rods, spoil a child. It's not there. No, Proverbs what? Proverbs 42, 12, yeah. Since there's only 31, that's pretty good. <laughs> this could be a paraphrase of Proverbs 13, 24. But the statement does not exist. Proverbs 13, 13, 24 says, Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children enough care to discipline them. The youngster of Proverbs 22.15 says, A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but, a, but physical discipline will drive it far away. Proverbs 29.15, To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. So, I, my story was always, you know, I never got spoiled if that phrase is true. I got marks to prove it. How about this line? God moves in mysterious ways. It's not there. It might be true, but it's not in the Bible. The closest confession of this could come from Isaiah 55, 8, where it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. But this one is owned by a poet in the 1700s, William Cowper. 
an English poet and a hymn, hymnodist. He wrote a lot of hymns. He wrote a, a hymn called Light Shining Out of Darkness. And it reads like this. God works in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You too also did a song that had similar lyrics. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, she moves in mysterious ways. But like Shakespeare, Bono isn't the same as Jesus. <laughs> Here's another good one. Not in the Bible. Pride comes before the fall. It sounds something like it. I know it does. I know it does. You're right. It does sound something like it, but the phrase isn't there. Am I getting too nitpicky? Too bad. That's fine. It, this is fun. What? Oh, there we go. Yes. There we go. That's right. So pride comes before the fall. It's my party. The phrase is often attributed, uh, and it comes from Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Sentiment's there, but the short phrase is not. Here's another really good one. People use this one all the time. God helps those who help themselves. That is not in Scripture. J- just in case you think it is, it's a churchianity phrase. And a bad one at that. The earliest recording of this saying actually is from Aesop's Fables. This is where it comes from. Hercules and the Wagoneer. A man's wagon got stuck in the muddy road and he prayed for Hercules to help. Hercules appeared and said, Get up and put your shoulder to the wheel. The moral given was the gods helped them that helped themselves. A whole bunch of cultures have a similar phrase. I just thought it was interesting. (laughs) I am going to get through my points. This is funny. Here's a good one. Money is the root of all evil. It is not in the Bible. It's a misquote of an existing text that sounds similar. This is where wording matters. Listen to this. This misquote is from 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs because of a love for money. Love for money. Money is not evil. This phrase has permeated the Western church, especially the conservative church. It makes them close to the prosperity teaching, and I don't agree with all the prosperity teaching, but they've got some good points too that we just won't listen to because la 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 la, there's too much mess in there, I can't sort it out. They've got some truth. But we've got this lie that's hindering us from seeing God's blessing in our lives. Money is not bad. In fact, God does want to bless you. And as you are able to make money and invest and be smart with it, you'll, you'll be prospered. It's going to happen. That's, it is a, what you pour into it will come out. What you sow, you will reap. All right? Next. Oh, this is a good one. I ask Jesus to come into your heart this is not in the Bible anywhere at all instead we call this uh, even the sinner's prayer there is no sinner's prayer in the Bible this was first developed in the 19th century by Charles Finney 
comes from him, all these phrases. That, that, that's only in the 19th century. An old evangelistic style of getting people to say a prayer. Does true repentance and true belief, is that called to people? Yes. But unfortunately, when you create a method, the prayer, then we say, oh, they've said the prayer. Move on to the next person. They're in. They're good. You get somebody to mumble the prayer. Well, I know people that have mumbled the prayer with people just to get them to leave the house. You know, the doorstop evangelists. So the prayer doesn't do it. Faith does. God calls us to believe. You must believe. That is non-negotiable. But the idea of asking Jesus to come into your heart, there's nothing in Scripture that says that or implies it. Not even a close verse. It's not there. So why do we use the phrase? Interesting. How about God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Have you heard that from? Yes. It's not in the Bible. Not even close. In fact, it's a really bad sales job. Selling a product and lying about it. God loves you, yes. You have a wonderful life. You can't prove that. What's wonderful is who is in you. That's what's wonderful. But to imply that believing God is going to give you a wonderful, spot-free, problem-free life is a lie. Scripture does not say that. Next. This is popular. God will not give you more than you can handle. This is not in the Bible. It's a misunderstanding of another text in Corinthians. We've covered this one here at Hope Fellowship before. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Listen to this. Tell me if you can find the word God will not give you more than you can handle. Okay? He says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He would not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. What is the subject? Is it trouble? Stuff you can bear? Burden? It's, it's about temptation. Be careful. Don't misquote that. This is a big one. We throw that... Uh, I see it at a funeral work when I do funeral stuff. Well-meaning religious people. I hear men lying. Well, the Lord's not going to give you more than you can handle. Yep. I want to slap them silly. In fact, I want to get an electric cattle prod. And anyway, I, it's so hurtful to lie when people are in deep pain. Words matter. Phrases matter. I know you may think some of these ones are, well, that's really nitpicking. Yes, but if you would see the nitpickiness in the church and the lies that come from misquotes, <gasps> it's time to be free from that. I believe God will allow you to be burdened beyond what you can handle. If Jesus went through something he couldn't handle very well, wait a minute, how about Peter? How about Paul? These are the big champions. And they all went through burdens. Even Jesus had angels have to come to him and minister to him. Just because you have faith in Jesus does not 
exclude you from painful circumstances in life. I know there are a lot of believers in Louisiana right now. Why, why aren't their houses fine? What about the fire in Fort McMurray? All the believers' homes are still standing, right? No. Listen to this. Just so you don't use that improperly. Paul... When he explained, the birds were beyond what I could handle. It was more than we could take. We wish we had the sentence of death on us. Paul was talking about this when he was explaining his really hard time. He says that God allowed it so he would not trust in his own self-sufficiency. And here's an even better one. (laughs) Peter. Luke 22, 31-32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. If there's a phrase I... You know how I always say, what would Jesus do is a kind of a dumb statement because it implies we have to guess what he's going to do in any situation. Instead, we need to abide. Maybe there, this one I can sneak into that. Say, if you're going to pray, pray like Jesus for people. Because typically what we do is, Dear Lord, we pray that you remove the circumstance of these people. Relieve them. Spare them from pain and suffering. That's what we do, right? Fine, good heart, wonderful. Jesus never prayed at all for Peter to be spared. Not at all. If anybody's going to pray that and get his answer, it should be Jesus, right? But he says... He prayed for his faith. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. I believe this is how we need to pray for people. Pray for Diane, that her faith will not fail through this cancer treatment. Lord, heal her. That'd be awesome. I'm all for that. He hasn't told me that it's going to happen. He hasn't told me it's not going to happen. I don't need to know. I'm not on the list of the know. Who has to know? Are you on that list? Didn't think so. So pray for her faith. For those around you, pray for their faith. That they may be strengthened because when they come through it, they can strengthen others. Those who are the ones who can best help people in pain are ones who've gone through pain and loss. They're the ones. Parents of young children Guess who they go to to ask for advice when they're having trouble with their kids? Other parents who have experienced it. Those who are single, wondering how to deal with singleness. Who do they get advice from? Those who have been single and are single, and the conglomeration happens. You go to those who have walked through what you're suffering already. God will not give you more than you can handle? Oh, yes, he will. To rid you of your self-sufficiency. Not as a sadistic, some God is saying, ha, 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 watch this. I'm going to put him through pain. He walks with us. That's not, you got the wrong picture of God, if that's your image. He's too gracious. He's kind, slow to anger, rich in love, ever patient. Not holds anything against us. Wow. How about this phrase? Moderation in all things. Anybody hear that one? It's not in the Bible. At all. 
The phrase moderation in all things is an Aristotelian uh, doctrine of, uh, from the, his, um, uh, the text. The Aristotle's doctrine of, of the mean. He wrote this. And saying there's got to be a balance, you know, balance. And, but the problem with misunderstanding even that, moderation, are you talking about moderation of evil as well? So we can have allowed a little bit of evil in? That we can be, misbehave a little bit? Is, is this the balance? No. You got to think the other side too. Go, oh, oh, okay, maybe we won't use that phrase. I don't, but. Once saved, always saved. Guy went into a barber shop. And the barber sat him down and said, my wife's going to shave you today. Uh, he said, great, how much is it? It's $25. For a shave? Yep, for a shave. That's a lot. I need a shave. So he gets shaved. So the next morning he wakes up. It's very clean. It's nice. Second day. No stubble at all. Four days later, not one stubble. He, he said, i got to find out what's going on. He goes into the barbershop and said, Sir, your wife shaved me the other day. Um, it's not grown back. He says, Of course. Once saved by grace, always saved. Oh, 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 pastor. Wait a minute, I'm a pastor. Ha! The worst. <laughs> Once saved, always saved is not in the Bible. It's a trite phrase that opens a Pandora's box of theological discussion. Okay? Don't just swing it around and throw it out there as if everybody knows what the phrase means because you have 20 people in the room, you have 20 different definitions of how this could play out. It's not in the Bible. This one's going to be very interesting. Exactly these words. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's not there. Anybody questioning me now? <laughs> you think I'd come up here with, with a phrase like that? Not prepared? Are you kidding? Ha! Okay. These words are not in the scriptures. However, there's a parallel where it comes from. <laughs> all right? This is called like the golden rule. But that's not the words of Jesus at all. It comes from uh, Matthew 7.12 and Luke 6.31. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Love thy neighbor as yourself is also part of all this. But the actual full phrase is not there. Do unto. The only do to others as you would have them do to you is in the NIV Bible. And even that is a translation from phrasing. It's not a pure translation. NIV. That's the only translation that says it like this, except for the unto. It's do to others. That's the only exact pull and lift and go. Google it. Google in your Bible. T- type it all in and you'll see it's, it's not there. Are we to? Yes. I'm not taking away from its meaning. I'm saying, hey, careful what you say exactly is in Scripture. Because words matter. One word in, one word out. Matters. Next. Hold on, my number 24. This is really good. The eye is the window of the soul. Very good. How'd you know? Because it's on the screen. Very good. All right. (laughs) 
It's not in the Bible. The eye is the window of the soul. Instead, Matthew 6, 22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. Or Luke eleven thirty four says, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is also f- full of light. When it is bad, your whole body is also full of darkness. Very interesting. We're going to stop here. I'll do the last five or six next week and I have more to add on because this is fun. Um, but we're going to get into some misunderstandings of texts as well so that we understand them uh, better. I hope that was uh, encouraging and informative and made you chuckle a little bit, uh, uh, slightly entertaining, but uh, it sure is not normal for what we do here on Sunday mornings. But uh, I want you to get excited about Scripture, but I want you to know it. I don't want you to take it for granted. Even me putting it up here, could I have slipped one in by accident? Huh, I could have. I don't think I did. But you check it out. Every person is responsible to the Holy Spirit individually of how you learn. It's not what I teach you. It's not what any pastor, anybody teaches you. It's what the Holy Spirit confirms in you through what you hear. Make sense? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, I pray you up our discernment levels as we read scripture, as we hear phrases, as we talk with one another. Help us to speak truth. Use the scriptures carefully. Not as a thumper tool to beat our thoughts into somebody else, but as a servant tray to serve one another, to love one another with compassion and kindness and gentleness. I pray you make the scriptures come alive to us. Because in those scriptures, the love of God is revealed. The real word of God is revealed, who is Jesus himself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.